Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. You can miss a single. Hates me. She hates everyone. She even hates me. You're gonna get to college. You're gonna make it. The smartest girl in school caught cheating. The irony of it all. I am innocent. Even the innocent sometimes burn at the stake. But I guess I don't. Why are you like this? You've lived your whole life in fear. Scared to death you won't get that A, that scholarship, that ticket out. I know all about it, Leanne. I wrote the book. Okay, so this is the movie that... Uh, I guess we would say was most directly affected by the whole conversation of uh, violence in cinema that happened post Columbine. Hmm. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not even, I'm, this isn't me going on a ledge for the muse. Okay. I'm, this is, these are facts. <laughs> Deniston. All right. You got to hear the facts. Okay. Okay. So, right, uh, I'm te- open to so teaching Mrs. Tingle was originally titled killing Mrs. Tingle and was supposed to come out in the earlier part of the summer of 1999. But then when, uh, when Columbine happened, you know, I think the studio wisely decided to change the title and push it back to, to August. And if you look at some of the uh, foreign marketing materials, they still keep the, the old uh, title. And also, so this is kind of a, this is really getting to the weeds. Um, so teaching Mrs. Tingle was Kevin Williamson's, uh, Williamson's first script that he tried to get sold in Hollywood but then when it didn't sell he shelved it and and it was only after he sold Scream that that he was able to to get the, get a green light uh for for this and so so okay so i i really enjoy these uh late 90s teen um comedy suspense uh movies uh, basically the, the all the dimension films uh, hmm. uh attempts here uh the one the ones that i think have aged the best would be the first two scream films and, and another film called the faculty 
from Robert Rodriguez. I honestly think hmm. you should give it give the faculty a chance if you haven't seen it in whoa, many whoa, years. Whoa. Sir, I own that. Oh, good, on good. It, it was on sale recently for five bucks. I'm like, I remember enjoying that, so I've I've purchased it and it's sitting on my you know my digital cloud. But yeah, I've actually I was about to ask you because I'm getting ready to revisit. Uh, I know what you did last summer for. Uh, uh, a podcast for one of the final episodes of War Machine versus War Horse. So where, where do you stand on that one? Because that so so it, it it starts off really great, and the the characters have some real like actual issues that those people in that age group w- would face. It has some really great suspense sequences, hmm. but then I think the third act is, is a real letdown. And but but it's fine. It I, I find myself rewatching it more often than I should. So hmm. what maybe I, we should just do that podcast instead. Well, we should just record that. So what I would say about teaching Mrs. Tingle is, is that um, it's obviously the worst of, of all of these films, <laughs> and, but it's, it's a, it has, has major, major detrimental issues. I think that, that, you know, the movie just can't rise above. And, um, but, but look, I've watched it several times over the years. And I think the element of it that leads me, um, that leads me to, to give it a pass would be Helen Mirren's performance, uh, which I think is pretty terrific, especially considering she really doesn't get to do a whole lot. It's really mostly just her uh, tied up on this bed. And she has one really terrific scene uh, towards the later part of the, of the movie. But other than that, she doesn't really get to do a whole lot. And and so uh, as much as anyone might hate this movie, the, the, the really one unequivocal good thing that came out of it was that Helen, it, it sort of led to a Helen Mirren renaissance of sorts. Uh, Helen Mirren had been in some well-known high-profile movies in the early 1980s, but by the time that this movie came out, you know, she she was really thought of as more of a character actor. And this movie, she got, like, a, a really strong review from Roger Ebert, and then two years later, she's Oscar-nominated for Gosford Park and then eventually wins an Oscar for The Queen. And so, in a way, Teaching Mrs. Tingle plays a small role in, in regards to that. And so, yeah, that's my take on it, is that the movie has detrimental story problems, but I ultimately uh, recommend it based just on Helen Mirren's performance. I mean, that's a layup, right? Helen Mirren's like, she's going to be good. Like, can yeah, you think, like yeah. when has she been bad? Yeah, so, I thought Hitchcock uh, was going to be it. I really thought Hitchcock was going to be ugh. it, and she was fantastic uh, in it. So. <laughs> yeah, the movie is fucking terrible, but uh, yeah, she was pretty good. Um. Yeah, you're right. Like as I'm looking through here, it's like she was mainly like I guess prime suspect in the '90s mm-hmm. was what she was. That was her her bread and butter. Uh, that's that is weird. That is a strange sort of uh zook narrative you took us on. That teaching Mrs. Tingle gave us, you know, gave us Helen Mirror back, gave her back to the world. Um, I did not see this. This was a first time watch. Um, I guess you know I don't know if you were into these like when they they came out, but I like if I saw like a you know, a teen, you know, comedy or teen thriller. I wasn't necessarily into them as, as a teenager, like, you know, and especially, I guess, you know, this one, cause I just gave it a pass for two decades. But, uh, I remember vaguely like, you know, and now when I pull up the Wikipedia page, that's like referencing the Columbine, uh, massacre. And I'm like, you know, you watch the movie and that doesn't, if you've seen it, that doesn't really jump mm-hmm, to mind mm-hmm. to me yeah. because, uh, and it's actually weird. Like that was ever named killing Mrs. Tingle. I think that's, 
very misleading. Like, and it's also not as like really catchy of a title as teaching Mrs. Tingle. So um, I don't want, I don't want to interrupt, but you brought up, I know you did a summer and there's actually, so I know he did a summer is based on like a, like what you would call a YA novel by Lois Duncan and Lois Duncan mm-hmm. also wrote a novel called killing Mr. Griffin and teach, you know, teaching Mrs. Tingle is not a direct adaptation of that, but it's very, very similar. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like she, she probably should have sued. Uh, granted this movie made no profits, so, you know, <laughs> it would be all in vain, yeah. but go ahead. Go ahead. I just wanted to add that. Yes. This was a, uh, uh, box office bomb. I mean, open to just over three million dollars uh, at number ten. My goodness, five, so. five of those dollars were, were mine. I saw. I saw it on opening wow. weekend. <laughs> All right then. So I mean, I think the biggest problem, you know, you've not said it, but you know, the the acting here is just not very good. Like, and I guess it's you know, it's more glaring because Helen Mirren is going to battle with these three younger actors. Uh, who just, you know, they just can't hold, they, they can't hold the scene with uh, Helen Mirren. And so, yeah, you've got her tied up. And when she has these private moments with these kids, like we've seen with other other movies where someone's taken hostage and they start to sort of mess with their, their captors and get in their head. And uh, it, it just feels at times too, too easy uh, for Helen Mirren. I wish there was, you know, younger actors here that would make it more engaging as far as these little back and forth. But the, the other thing is just the... I don't know the the central hook of the movie, the plot. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the end game really is here. <laughs> I realize like the characters, like they don't necessarily intend to hold their teacher captive. Like, and then, you know, in particular for as long as it goes on where you have other faculty members, you know, she's apparently having an affair with this, this man, this, uh, co-worker and uh, you know that they, they get involved and they have to you know get them drunk and like sort of blindfold them and do all these sort of hijinks uh, to keep it going uh, I I don't know I just don't feel like there's really a movie here for me and that, that was my biggest takeaway as I'm watching it where like I don't really know where this is going uh, and it's kind of dragging and I'm kind of tired of seeing these kids uh, do this ridiculous thing that uh, it's not going to end well for anyone and unfortunately you know, the biggest hang up I have I guess uh, spoiler alert for teaching Mrs. Tingle is that they somehow managed to give the Katie Holmes character the happy ending mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here that I don't I don't feel like she deserves or earned in any way by taking her teacher captive, even with this like, you know, late in the game confession from Helen Mirren where she's like admits that she just wanted her to fail and she's kinda like keeping these little overachievers, you know, I guess trapped, you know, living the life that uh she has, like in this town, never being able to escape it. Why are you so bitter? And angry. Why do you want to destroy me? I don't want to destroy you. I want to teach you. Oh, that is bullshit. You know, you hide behind your degree, but the reality is, is that you're jealous of every student you teach. You never got out of this town, did you? You went to high school here, now you teach here, and you're going to die here. And you resent anyone who has a future, anyone who's going to get out and have a life. No. I resent what you're going to do with that life. Selfish, mindless pursuits of your generation will only bring us closer to destruction, and I despise it. That is not good enough, Mrs. Tingle. If you're disillusioned with the youth of today, you have no one to blame but yourself. I am not scared of you. Who do you think you're fooling? You're so scared I can smell it. Your fear is the most predictable thing about you. You've lived your whole life in fear, 
terrified of making a mistake. Scared to death you won't get that A, that scholarship, that ticket out. Afraid you'll never escape your mother and her name tag. Or your father, who won't return your calls. That's why you've shunned Luke and every other boy who's ever tried to lay his hands on you. You're afraid of getting that bad seed. Afraid of giving birth to a child you never wanted. A child you could only blame for your own wretched existence. Stuck in a small town with a small life. Destined to become that very thing you despise the most. I know all about it, Leanne. I wrote the book. Uh, you know, it, it has this strange happy ending there. Where it's like all the... Suddenly because Helen Mirren admits like to that. Um, <laughs> and this strange... And, attempted murder with a, a crossbow like uh i don't know ben like I, I guess i spent the whole time like the 90 minutes wondering where we're going and then when we got there i was just like well that's that's just horse shit like that just felt like a waste of time so i it's strange to me that you uh you know i guess you were able to get as much out of just helen mirren's presence here because she is enjoyable but i just don't think you can hang this particular plot uh, all on her well what i think is unique about these movies from the late 90s is that they're aimed at intelligent uh, uh, young people and everything. And I think we see less and less of that, uh, you know, every year. And by intelligent, um, you mean like with the, like the people who are, on their people, school? Pe- you know, people who are focused on getting good grades, right. which is the okay. Katie Holmes. So you have election and this. Yeah. 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 And the election got brought up uh, in terms of, in com- you know, in, in unfavorable comparisons, you know, to this and everything. Um and uh, yeah, uh, um, so I don't, I don't dislike the performances. I think they're fine. I'm not gonna, you know, highlight any of them uh, besides Ellen Mirren. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Michael be, McKean's be fine. You know, Michael McKean's as, good. You know, be as mean as you were uh, to Leslie those Ann poor Warren's young actors good. from the wood. Molly Ringwald's good. Yeah. The older actors are all good here, and you know, exactly. Uh, Come on, you Katie can say Holmes, Katie, Holmes Katie Holmes is not good. No, see, I'm not gonna say that because I don't. Honestly, I've never found I've never found her to be this awful actress that, that other people uh, think she is. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to like put her up for uh, an Oscar anytime soon, but you know, she's very, she's TV. the right uh, actress for this movie at this time. I would yeah, say, I guess. Um, okay. She does. I remember seeing something with uh, Clooney. I can't remember what film it was or some interview where someone said that he had these mannerisms from ER that they had to sort of beat out of him. Like they were just like, sort of like, like sort of retraining <laughs> where it's like, look, you do this head nod here when you like deliver a line that way. And like, you know, you don't make eye contact. Like uh, you're just like, seems like you're just hyper-focused on delivering your monologue and you're not really like interacting with another human being. That's the one thing like I see a lot of with Katie Holmes is she gives like big speeches. We saw earlier in Go. That's I mean, that's how that film opens. She's like really talking to no one because they want to reverse it later. And you'll see who she's actually talking to about Christmas Uh, here. You know, she has plenty of times where she's just sort of lecturing uh, Mrs. Tingle, like, you know, prone, tied up in bed. And she's kind of doing the same sort of mannerisms that Katie Holmes always does when she gives, you know, her little speech. And it doesn't seem like she's actually talking to another human being or expecting a response. She's just sort of reading, reading the lines and. You know, it's fine, but, and she's, she's cute and, you know, she's, you, you kind of want to see her on screen, but yeah, I, I, I mean, not to be mean, but I have always, I, I get those criticisms about her that she's just, she's just not very good. She's not a very good actress. Okay. So here's what I would say. I, I actually <laughs> like, I actually like her and go, I think she's fine and go. Um, so I just think, I think she was always kind of, uh, set up to, uh, to have people against her and, and it came out from, 
the popularity like Katie yeah from the popularity okay. of Dawson's Creek and everything and then from the uh you know from her marriage to Tom Cruise and everything and I don't know I think there's an unfair hey, uh harshness I in general it's hard for me to think there are a lot of actors today I hate um but going back to like the '90s and the early 2000s, there's not a lot of not not a lot of like truly bad actors, you know. Um, I mean, they're bad performances. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, you know, Reese Witherspoon, terrific in Election. I hate her in Wild. I thought she was awful in Wild. And I don't know. I like to judge things not so much on uh, on on the specific actor but on the specific performance that they're giving in the specific role. So specifically Katie Holmes has been bad every time. (laughs) Okay. So I actually have something, uh, something interesting to add. And I didn't know this when I saw the movie in 1999, but apparently the original ending, uh, which is going back to, you know, we've we're like, like in this marathon we've done, we've talked about alternate endings to uh, every single movie uh, with, with the exception of like Runaway Bride. Right. Okay, so special features with Ben. The, Zook, there's no special show. feature. The special feature doesn't <laughs> exist. Uh, but apparently, in the original text, test screenings, uh, the, Leanne and, and everyone, she has to accept being, you know, salutatorian or whatever the second, in, in, you know, runner-up is uh, for these things. Uh, she has to accept her her bad grade and her. And Mrs. Tingle and the, and the other the rest of them they have to they come to some sort of agreement they you know they handle their problems the way you would expect you know in, in a more adult way than what we see mm-hmm. in the in the in the final ending and, and I'd really be interested to see that ending because it sounds a lot better than what we get uh, here I I really don't like the device of the crossbow in this movie I think that introduces a lot of uncomfortable crap. Um, you know, and I, and I just don't, I don't, to me, it's like, it's like the better story decision. They go to confront Mrs. Tingle and, you know, she, she actually has an accident and slips down the stairs or something and it's not their fault at all. And, but they're, you know, faced with the reality of, oh, this looks really bad. And that leads into, you know, that's a more understandable bad decision than what we get. You know, once, once Barry Watson is pointing the crossbow at her it's like yeah you guys have crossed the line you should pay for you know for this you know that's the right thing but you know what you had a great you know uh, point <laughs> okay go ahead. way back when <laughs> i was way about to say when. something really that would really upset you <laughs> uh, okay well let's hold off on that <laughs> i'll compliment you on something you said way back i believe on this podcast where you're talking about uh, your time in film school where like yeah in, young people would write themselves into a box. So someone just pulls a gun on somebody. And then at that point, you know, whatever you've built up to, it's a very different movie now. Cause it's like, well, now we have to resolve the fact that you were threatening someone else with like, you know, ending their life. And so, you know, anything prior, it's kind of, kind of gone now. And it's, it's this type of movie. And in a strange way, yeah, the crossbow does that where it's escalated to a point where we've boxed everybody into a corner to where you're not going to get an, an ending that resolves any sort of realistic, satisfying fashion so go ahead with your uh, angering point you're about to make so just i hope you're sitting down um so <laughs> you know since like what was it four months ago or whatever well, you know when you brought up book smart and and today uh you know i've since seen that movie and you know in that movie there's a similar uh situation where like one of the main characters does something that you know would obviously get you arrested 
and you would have to pay mm. for it. Okay. And, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and the movie, you know, the movie just kind of writes it off and then the, you know, they go off in the sunset and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so those problems exist in other movies too, that people tend to tend to, over, to you know, they can look past it or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't like the ending either. Can we, but in can general, we touch on Booksmart first? Sure, go ahead. Because that's totally true. Like one <laughs> of the biggest issues with Booksmart, as much as I enjoyed it, and what makes people uncomfortable talking about it, like the the, the big, you know, sort of elephant in the room, is that it's a total fucking fantasy mm-hmm. of how people wish, uh, you know, others acted in high school. Even those, you know, the rambunctious wild ones. Uh, all of them are going to like Ivy League schools. Uh, apparently, it was not having to try that hard in high school but just you know they just because they're special or they're cool or whatever they're kind of quirky they you know somehow they manage to to get everything they want in life um and yeah so going into that ending in particular there's there's no consequences to you know what has transpired like <laughs> it's why and I, it's something that i really you know i enjoyed it i thought it was it was funny and i enjoyed my time with those characters but uh by no means is it representing uh, in any way, shape, or form, I think like an actual high school experience, uh, and that seems to be an, like you get at a crossroads with people who are like the book smart super fans who like don't really want to hear it. Like, well, it should be this way. Uh, <laughs> super bad is still much better because those you know the aims are much smaller and there's genuine consequences to uh, what happens to to those characters. Like you know if the cops show up and you uh, you know you know trash talk them anyway, you get smacked in the face and no one cares because you're a punk kid. That's, you know, that's, I don't know. That's, it's, it's a strange thing where you have to like distance yourself from the fandom <laughs> of a film that you also are in favor of. And then you're like, well, but not in that way. So that's, yeah, we we keep this the subtitle. Of this is going to be book smart, you know, nine, nine, sure. nine, it's and a also natural, occasional book yeah. smart talk. It's a natural discussion. <laughs> and you know, it's a, okay. So the way I saw that whole, what you're talking about in book smart is I saw it as, okay, this is just, this is just how California thinks everyone lives uh everyone yes. gets to go to oh yeah. you didn't go to an ivy league uh, college oh that's like getting your ged um and, and and that it's okay to mock uh what's his name jason uh, jason sudeikis. sudeikis yeah yeah it's okay to mock jason sudeikis that he has to uh be an uber driver to you know uh because teachers don't get paid very much and all that um hilarious you know, ben hilarious i didn't find it hilarious i mean <laughs> no i'm saying that the fact that these people who only sort of place value on like where they're going to further their education are laughing at the educators that got them there yep. which i i guess i guess they didn't because in this world you know those people just fucked around in high school so yes yeah i i i'm in total agreement with you which is strange because you apparently really dislike book smart and i liked it but yeah we're we're definitely in agreement on a lot of those points. And it, it, it can be funny. This is the last thing I want to say about teaching this. It can be funny watching. I've been watching a lot of these Kevin Williamson uh, movies and, and he sort of has these little like uh, you've seen the YouTube videos where, where people splice together all the Sorkinisms. Uh, you know, he yeah, sort of has yeah. those and, and like history always repeats itself is a, is a big one <laughs> in his movies. And so, so as I wrote the book and we hear both those lines here, uh, and, um, and also Molly Ringwald says something about, um, Josephine in France uh, during the French revolution and, and how she was just like a slut bag whore who flashed her shit all around town. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's mm-hmm. from scream as well. And so it's really, it is, it, there is a certain, I guess, I guess there, I'll, I'll admit that there is a certain nostalgia that probably biases my opinion on, you know, well, on even the, movies, uh, so. 
the Marissa Coughlin character is like the sidekick is like the, uh, not promiscuous, but definitely like more, uh, comfortable with her sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, young age, uh, is basically like the Rose McGowan character from scream, you know, kind of the funny, yeah. sassy one, red hair, you know, same sort of <laughs> look. And I, all I was thinking was like, well, Kevin Williamson's got a type as far as like, there was someone clearly he was hung up on <laughs> in high school as far as like, you know, these certain archetypes that so he was like, I like that person. I'm going to put them in a movie. And so I, I don't know who the young, like sort of like funny redhead was that he went to school with, but you know, he's, he has definitely like idolized her as, uh, you know, I think in screen, probably a more interesting character. Unfortunately, we're this one, I think teaching Miss Tingle, um, I think we're just supposed to feel bad for her. And I kind of wish there were some more jokes coming from, from that character's mm-hmm. way. Joe Lynn. She grabs um, she grabs Barry Watson's, uh, butt, just like, you know, the people in the wood, but it's different genders and, you know, we're sexist for not judging Marissa, you know, we should be judging her more for that. She, she really, you know, she crossed the line. Um, you know, at the same time, I think Kevin Williamson is much more suited for this type of material um, than some of the, than some of the stuff uh, he, he writes now. And um, I don't know. I think it's kind of a shame. Uh, like, like, what does he write? Let, like, you know, let, let Bartlett be Bartlett, let Sorkin be Sorkin, let Williamson be Williamson. Oh, so he's got the uh, the vampire diaries money then. Got 186 episodes. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of residuals money. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, as far as movies go, is uh, Scream 4 the last I like, think feature? that's it. And that was the last wow. film, the last film of the director of our next film, uh, Wes Craven, okay. who is someone I really respect uh, or did. Uh, and well, I still respect him even after his passing. I've been thinking about him a lot. It's weird. He would have turned 80 years old uh, last week. She moved to one of America's toughest neighborhoods. Welcome to East Hall. Her mission was to give kids who were struggling. Hey, no guns. No, don't do that. Don't do that. The hope. The pride and the power to make something of themselves. Stop, 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 stop! My God, you sound terrible. Is anybody practicing at all? How can we practice? We're rehearsing all the time. Miramax Films presents two-time Academy Award winner Meryl Streep. I would like you all to play from here. Aidan Quinn. Gloria Estefan and Academy Award nominee Angela Bassett in an extraordinary true story, Music of the Heart. I know I knew I had a lot of tidbits for teaching Mrs. Stingle. I have a lot of good tidbits for Music of the Heart. So That's what the internet has demanded <laughs> in this episode. If you're going to do something, do it well. That's what I think. <laughs> If we're going to talk music of the heart, let's make it the best music of the heart episode anyone has ever had since Bing Crosby danced on the rooftop with uh, Danny fucking K. So, okay. Music of the heart. Wes Craven uh, has a test screening of Scream and the Weinsteins immediately want to sign a three picture deal with him. And two of those end up being the, the Scream movies, uh, I believe. And then... The third one is something that he it can be anything he wants, basically. Uh, and, and, you know, he has a lot of options, obviously. And he could have chosen something that really promoted himself as a director. He could have chosen 
uh, you know, something that he could have chosen another big horror movie that would make a lot of money and make him a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't. He chooses to adapt uh, this documentary, uh, which I believe is called Small Miracles. Am I, hold on. Let me change. The, Small Wonders. This is why no. I need to change the Wikipedia page before we start. Small Wonders from 1995, and I have not seen it. I, I have a copy of it and I plan on watching it, but I didn't get around to it. So okay. my point being, you know, of all the things he could have, he could have done. He decides to do this thing that promotes uh, music in the arts and something that, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention or, or uh, that isn't very sexy. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, if you're the uh, Weinsteins, you're like, you know, you're, I guess you're you're counting the money from the uh, Scream series and just hoping it covers this uh, passion project here. And, and my point being was that I think that was a very honorable thing for him to do. And you know, I find you know I find that inspiring. I wish more people were like that. Um, you know, in in in, the, in Hollywood. And uh, the funny thing about Wes Craven is he never saw himself as a horror movie director. He had never even seen a horror movie when he did Last House on the Left. It was just sort of something he fell into. And so it is funny. You you do sometimes imagine uh, what kind of a filmmaker someone would be had they had they not uh, had certain things not worked out the way they did. And um, so the only other like thing that comes close to this in terms of this genre that he does is a, a short film in uh, in, uh, in Paris Chatem uh, that is also, you know, Maybe uh, I, I think I think they're they're in, it's like a couple in a cemetery and it's very sweet and not what you would expect from Wes Craven, um, and yeah, this stands out uh, I think in a good way. Uh, I found myself really enjoying this. It's it's about fifteen minutes too long is what I would say. If it was yeah, fifteen minutes yeah. shorter, uh, I would I would have no hesitation recommending this movie to to anyone. But overall, overall strong. It's a strong little movie, you know, about something that I think a lot of the the Hollywood elites probably would have considered really pedestrian at the time. And so I, I don't know. I, I enjoy it for what it is. Uh, I didn't this first time watch. Uh, it's got a terrible fucking title. Music of the heart. Like it's so clearly call it 50 violins. Like, I mean, there's a reference to how this program starts. And, you know, the, the opening sequence with this woman whose husband has just left her. You know, the, the moving men are dropping these boxes, these crates of like violins on there. So, I mean, you've got that sort of, you know, curious image of like, well, why the, why the hell does she have that many violins? And she's just like trying to find a place for them, for these things that she's accumulated life, these dreams that have been dashed. And so she's going to try to apply that somewhere, uh, even as foolhardy as many of the characters seem to think it is. Uh, this clearly would not have appealed to me in the slightest uh, as a 16-year-old. And I have to admit, as a middle-aged man, I was kind of dreading this, in particular this episode, teaching Miss Single and Music of the Heart, because I'm thinking, well, Zook has served me up a sandwich of something, of all the ingredients of things I do not like. Like, I'm not a fan of Katie Holmes, um, don't want to see this PG-13, you know, thriller, and definitely don't want to see this this woman, you know, the, if you look at the poster for Music of the Heart, it just looks like many a failed, like, Oscar bait movie that at some point either the critics didn't respond to or didn't get a good festival response. And so you can tell that the distrib- distributor hedged on it. And they're like, well, well, we'll dump it somewhere. You know, it's not going to get the love, but we'll just get it in and out of theaters quickly because it's got Meryl Streep in it. All that being said, this has been one of my favorite movies that I've watched for this project. And I... <laughs> 
found myself really <laughs> responding to it. Or you're laughing at this. I, I can't please. Ben's this is up. like this is like performance theater for you at this point. Like Denison, like I can't take this anymore. Like <laughs> what? What? Like you're leading you me out there, like oh, this is blah 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 blah. blah, blah. <laughs> that being said, you know what? It's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> Look, Ben, you got to have some context here for this. So I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, with our conceit of like where my headspace was as a teenager, zero interest. And, you know, I don't, I want to, I want to get across to any listeners we do have that if they're looking at the title of this, they're looking at the IMDb page, the poster, and they're like, oh God, that looks, that looks atrocious. Or it looks like you've seen this movie before. You have in a certain respect, but they, they do some curious mm-hmm. things here. Like, you know, you talked about the runtime. And it is, it does start to drag a little bit, you know, towards the end, but, um, they have this like breaking point, like halfway through that if you didn't know anything, if you've not seen the documentary or know anything about this, uh, true story, uh, about this woman's life, uh, I didn't really know. I thought, so we have this first class that she gets through and they get to a certain point, right? Where it's like just having the program itself is the victory Mm -hmm. and that you can almost make that its own movie before you you get to where you know the sort of like this is the movie i guess just by nature of when it was made they actually go through the process of like okay so the first half is like a film you've seen and the second half is what happens after people lose interest in the story whether they see it on 60 minutes or they see a feature film and then the practical nature of people having to maintain that passion for something uh comes into play and i like that i like that the back half is like yes we were very successful uh, against all odds, we got these violins, we got this music program uh, into Harlem, into these kids who would never be exposed to it. And you know what? Still wasn't good enough. We still have to basically go begging hat in hand. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think you see that often in these type of type of stories. And I really, really like that choice. And I, I liked, you know, that by design of the story that you have that you know, like almost two part series. You have that break in the middle where you you jump ahead ten years later and you see that the struggle still goes on. And even in the uh, post credits, they sort of reveal that. Even again, after that, that, that funding that they get uh, through that concert, like it only like lasted for three years. And the little postgres during the filming of this this movie that you're now watching, uh, they've reinstated it. So you know that pretty much this battle is just going to last forever, that there's not going to be a finish line they can get to where everyone suddenly thinks that violins or, you know, uh, classic music needs to be like pushed in the, the hands of like people who uh you know are in the lower income lower tax bracket like no it's like you get a small victory but then you have to keep fighting like just for you know another small victory three years down the line i I don't know it's really bold it's really brave and i plus the characters are like really fascinating and how like real they are like there's a break even with a romantic lead where you finally have a woman call call him on his shit Mm -hmm. uh played by aiden quinn like you know you're gonna stick around or not like i like that a lot you two you're fired out Get out. You kidding? You're kidding, right? I want you out of my house! Go! You're fired, too. Take it. Go! Yeah. Yeah. That's more like it. You're fired, too. What? I mean it. I mean mean it. I I need to be with a man, you know, who can make a commitment to me. You know, I need that. And my boys need that. Can you do that? Get out! I, it's great, and you don't you do not see that very often. Like you, um, 
we talked about out of sight on one of our you know previous I, I can't even tell like that was uh which which uh recording we did today but if you're a diehard listener you'll know and uh thomas crown affair well that you know there's a scene much like this in aaron brockovich right where we're used to seeing like the person in this case uh both these films women like that are become so enthralled with their pursuit professionally to do some good in the world that uh you you know see their personal relationships go by the wayside that's not, it's not like that. I like that scene in Aaron Brockovich with uh, Aaron Eckhart uh, as well, where they sort of separate. But here, you know, it's this woman is capable of all of it, and the, the man she's with is only capable of some of it. And it's the parts of her that he likes, and he's not going to accept the whole. And I don't know. It's like everything I wanted in this type of movie, a character to say or do, they actually do that. And so I, I was very impressed with this. So, yeah, you can laugh at me, Ben. But uh, I'm actually really uh, thankful that you kind of forced this on me because I, I I could not believe how much I enjoyed this movie. I why would I laugh at you? Uh, you know, like like my my thinking is that if this were to come out today, like it would basically be my favorite film of the year. I can see that, I can <laughs> and it see would that, probably yeah. stay there for a long, long time. Um, you know, throughout the year. And and the thing of it is, is that it's just so earnest and it's so rare to see that kind of stuff today. I think in 1999, 1999 particularly because it's such a strong year, it's easy for something like this to, to get overlooked. And despite that, it you know, despite it not doing well at the box office, despite it being a movie from a director who's known for working in a completely different genre, uh, it still ends up getting two Oscar nominations. Uh, the one I, I, I agree with uh, quite a bit with, for Meryl Streep here, the, the NSYNC song. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, if I had to listen to an NSYNC song uh, and I could only listen to one and, uh, you know, forever and ever and ever, <laughs> it would probably be this one, but I, I would much right. rather just not listen to any, I've never thought I would say this, but I much prefer the acting uh, talents of, of, you know, their lead singer, I guess is what you would call him. Uh, I don't know. Not, I, I was a big Dimension Films uh, teen movie fan, not an mm. NSYNC fan. That was not a road I went okay, down. Okay, that's fair. So. True. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm largely in agreement with you. I think this is one of. The, I think a lot of times American critics are harsher on movies like this when they come from uh, an American filmmaker. And I think that you know, yeah, if this if this was something that had been produced overseas or whatever, the subtlety of it and the you know the allowing of you know having like this final sequence where you really do just live with the characters for this performance and everything american critics would have respected that a lot more if it came in the package uh you know uh, of of an international film kind of kind of deal yeah i'm glad we're positive on this i mean what it's like who who do you think the audience is or was for this this type of movie because it's like if you know, the, it seems like from what I gathered, like just briefly looking at it, it seems like the critics were like, well, you know, you've kind of seen this before and it's, it does it well, but you know, there's no need to rush out to the movies to see this. And so <laughs> I don't know, like what, what are they directing people to see? Like, cause I've, I've heard you and I, I, I like when you go on these rants uh, online where you s- sort of rail against mm-hmm. critics looking to see something different uh, and being so exposed, you know, sort of the festival effect to things uh, that are off the beaten path that they don't consider at all the slightest that, you know, a regular person uh, getting off work that day, trying to get in a, you know, seven o'clock movie uh, with their loved one, uh, you know, maybe wants to just see a story well told. Like, just give me a story, A to B to C. And so, you know, I, I'm guessing the Weinstein thought they could possibly, like, push this into the awards race. And when that was not going to happen, they just totally, like, gave up on it. 
Um, well, to be but, fair, and I know he's on his way to being a convicted oh sex no. offender. Um, oh no. I mean, Weinstein, you know, terrible human being. Um, <laughs> he had a great track record with, with taking stuff like this and getting uh, lead actresses nominated for it. Why were you going, oh, no? I don't think what I said was that bad. <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, just we just have to go on there on the record because, you know, we we've, uh, we, we mentioned Brian Singer and you, you had to, like, come in. When I said that he was just a, a pretty bad director, you had to make sure that <laughs> he's also a pretty bad human. So uh, just, you know, just couching it a little bit for our listeners. Like, we, we know we're talking about a, a bad individual. Um, people so people but, so often have trouble like like I, I'm I I do always fear that I'm going to say something good about Miramax or whatever, and people are going to interpret it as me mm-hmm. saying that that you know that uh, Harvey Weinstein is a gr- is a great human being or something. Uh, just because I think people have problems with that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's certainly uh, you know you can't really talk around it. Nineteen ninety nine. If we're if we're going to be talking about the the films of that year. Um, I don't know, but it's like, can you think of, uh, can you think of something of this ilk that is not reliant on awards recognition that just tells like, you know, just some basic, like, you know, human interest, I guess, style stories, like in feature like form. <laughs> you're going to disagree with me and you're going to, I mean, this is, I don't know. I don't know if you saw this movie or how you felt about it. Uh, and it was a commercial hit. Uh, so back in January, the upside with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, caught up with it on video. Uh, I was very surprised by how much I liked it. And yeah, it was just a very straightforward story I about just keep two going human back beings. To the wine That's not the, love... how is it? The Weinsteins. That's SDX. It was, they had, they had to, they had to sell it off. <laughs> that was their, that was going to be their, their last thing they released. And they, <laughs> they had to sell that one off. That was going to be a Weinstein, uh, the Weinstein Company release. So, well, you know, the mov- movies aren't done until they're it. done. So, you know what? <laughs> STX deserves uh, some credit there. And apparently, they're going out of business soon, anyways, mm. which is sad. Well, what about the Instant Family? Did you like I liked that? that. that yeah. was I, was, I thought we I you and I talked about that. that. One. Yeah, and I saw that based on your recommendation. And I've since okay. recommended to a lot of people, and I hope they've taken me up on that. Uh, but yeah, that would be what I would say. Is that, and that's what I mean. Is that if this were to come out today, yeah, it would it would like shoot right to my number one. The interesting thing about Wes Craven is there is this idea permeating through his work of very strong female characters who who aren't reliant on a man, uh, you know, for their self worth. And you see that in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you see that in the one sequel he produced uh, that he directed. Um, you see that in Scream, and you see that in even a little uh, thriller like Red Eye, which I think has mm. some has some pretty uh, strong undercurrents of uh, you know women uh, women overcoming you know being victimized by a man, uh, and so it's it, it, interesting. And I, I mean, I don't know how how aware he was of it. I, I don't know, but it definitely is something I've noticed uh, throughout his work. Yeah, I still think that uh, as much as we both like this movie, it would be hard to get someone to sit down to watch mm-hmm. it. It was hard to get you to sit down to watch it. So think about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we have to do a podcast about it. If we're not doing a podcast, yeah, there's there's no way. Uh, yeah, I I'm I, I really liked it. Um, big fan. I it there is some sadness, I guess, uh, in watching it and seeing it as the only. You know the only non-horror feature that uh, Mr. Craven uh, was able to to bring to theaters because it uh, and it was interesting reading that uh, I guess Meryl Streep had not seen any of his work because she's just <laughs> not a fan of horror movies, uh, but she uh, 
according to this, took it upon like I guess her teenage son's advice. Like, I don't know, he, he makes good movies. You should really like, you know, do something with this guy and uh what they were able to do together. But I wonder in an alternate universe if this had been like a financial or, you know, awards heavy hit, if uh what we would have seen from Wes Craven, uh, if this one had uh, been a mainstream success. So actually this was almost uh, one of two 1999 movies that Wes Craven had because the third Scream film, which you and I have already talked about once today because uh, we were talking about Courtney Cox's uh, hair, of all things. Um, <laughs> yes. So that was originally supposed to come out at the end of 1999, but at the last minute it was pushed back to 2000. Now his very next film after that is called Cursed, and it's also it's it's from a script from Kevin Williamson. It was sort of like one of those properties where it's like oh yeah let's get the whole gang back together again <laughs> and mm-hmm. see if we can uh have lightning strike twice and they've got and they cast Skeet Ulrich uh and several other people in it and they get to the end of it uh the film is 90 percent uh finish and and I guess uh Bob Weinstein tells them to reshoot the whole thing and they and Jesus. then Skeet Ulrich pulls out and they have to recast the whole movie and reshoot the whole movie and I guess there was like, so they basically basically shot it over like a period of two years. And when it finally came out, it bared no resemblance to what it was originally going to be. And it's a really interesting story. Uh, recently, last year, what's her name? Judy Greer, who was in it, uh, was asked about it. And she said, she said, <laughs> it was a very funny comment. She said, yeah, that was a weird experience. We, you know, we, we shot the movie for like seven years and then it finally came, <laughs> came out. And I just didn't understand why they kept fucking with it. Uh, and so it's, it's very, it's funny, you know, the, the way things go. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Well, something like that. I'd never heard of this or like, you know, if, if I was aware of it, I, you know, just threw that one, threw that aside and then didn't uh, retain space in my head. Um, looking at it, yeah, young Jesse Eisenberg, mm-hmm. uh, I guess here, uh, Christina Ricci, but like, it's weird to hear about these things. Like, uh, I mean, more recently you see them like justice league where they like go yeah. back and reshoot a great portion of it. Um, and you know, the, the stakes are much higher, but it's <laughs> for like the dimension films where they're like, you know, what? At what point do you just be like, this is a sunk cost. Like, yeah. just throw it out mm-hmm. there. If it's a hit, it's a hit. But it's like, why do you care this much about this, like, werewolf movie? Uh, and, you know, apparently the finished product, they still didn't. Because I I don't remember ever seeing a trailer for this. Like, when you told it to me, like, I'm looking up on IMDb. It's like, I've never seen an image from this film. So, it came out in 2005. What I remember was that I heard about it right after Scream 3. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that would be really fun to watch. And by the time it came out, I was, like, in college. And it was just like, you know, wow, that's like, you know, I've kind of moved on, you know. Well, like, they did the, the music of the heart thing. You know, they, they cut to black and then you know, five years later and their original <laughs> audiences has moved on with their lives. Something else. Uh, damn. All right. Well, um, I think I think that's I'm pretty much, you know, done for that. We've been recording for a little behind the scenes. Four hours now. Four hours and two minutes uh, here. So I hope uh, I hope you're happy, listener. I hope you're happy with what we've produced over this, what, seven episodes here. And so next time when we reconvene, ironically, we will be talking about two horror films that were released at the end of summer 1999. Uh, All right. One of these stars, (laughs) the sister of one of of the of, uh, um, you know, of the cop in Scream. And one of these. Actually have him up. 
stars. I have a tweet of his where he's uh, <laughs> David Arquette. So you're talking about? Yeah, and, and but and he's he's taking blame slash credit for Courtney Cox's hair in Scream Three, saying it was his idea. <laughs> uh, I suggested a Betty Page look. It just didn't work. I take full responsibility. Is his tweet on that? But do you know what the movie is real. that we'll be talking about? Uh, that is uh, Stigmata, Correct. which I've seen half of i think now and then gave up on it i have a good clue for this one now the next one stars someone who you know i'm not going to say his name but i think if you think about it you'd be able to connect uh the star of stigmata to this star probably in six degrees or less okay so that's kevin bacon uh i don't know if i'm gonna do that game no you don't uh, have to do that I, that's wasn't what i was trying to make you do <laughs> okay, uh, I'm sure I could give me enough time, just not on a podcast. Uh, the name of this one uh, actually slips my mind. I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it looking uh, or trying to like ride the wave that appeared of the Sixth Sense. Like, uh, like Kevin Bacon's a guy that like has visions of like you know previous murders or dead people like talking to them. Maybe not explicitly or literally like in Sixth Sense, but what is the? I, I don't have it, okay. the name of this one. So. I actually connected Patricia Arquette to Kevin Bacon. So Patricia Arquette is in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who is okay. in Mystic River with Kevin Bacon. And the movie okay. is Stir of Echoes. Wasn't the cheat for that game to always go with JFK? I felt like that was always the, like the loophole for well, Kevin Bacon. I didn't. You get some... <laughs> Your most impressive feat in this entire project. I did that. I did that on the fly. I swear to God. Uh, well, you didn't use JFK, which is uh, you know that that's your loss because that's that's your your favorite filmmaker of all time, Mr. Oliver Stone. I mean, if you say so. I mean, <laughs> I do love Oliver I, Stone. I do love Oliver Stone. Okay, that's see, you know, that's that's not you know too far off. I know your love of Nixon. Uh, not as much as I love okay. David Cope. You know, obviously. Uh, Boy, we, man, these are starting to feel like we're we're really starting to feel very '90s heavy. Kevin Williamson, and David Cope. It's like feeling like okay, this was this was a peak for certain men, and it's not gone well since. Uh, so, all right, Stir of Echoes and Stigmata. This probably will be bad, is my guess. All right, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna finally go to sleep. So, that's <laughs> it for me. <laughs> Four hours and five minutes. Oh my god. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99 99.